When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. Hello, and welcome to the Betcha Sup Podcast. I'm Elise Morales. I'm Amanda Duberman. And for those of you who are just tuning in, the Betcha Sup Podcast is your weekly rundown of all the crazy shit that's happened in the news, explained by your two funniest friends. Which is us. Today we're talking about Kamala's departure. Trump's trip to London for NATO. And Melania's crocodile tears. Let's get into it. Betches Media presents. I like beer. I don't know if you do. Okay. Do you like beer, Senator, or not? Uh, my party is going bat crazy. <laughs> You're the pop- Alternative facts. Oh, goodness. The Betches Sup Podcast. America! Here we are. Here we are. It's been, I know that there was a podcast on Monday. But so much has... It's wild. I feel like this is how we start every episode, that we're just like, ah, I know. Ah, oh my God, so much has happened. But I know. really a lot has happened. Yeah, yeah. Whenever I'm like trying to write descriptions and stuff, it's like, what's next for impeachment? But what's really next? What's next? <laughs> yeah, I know, I keep trying to come up with subjects for the yeah. newsletter oh, that aren't just like... Still it's impeaching. <laughs> it's happening. We're, we're yeah. still doing it. It's, yeah. it's still... It, yeah. The next step is here. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> But that is that is what's happening. Yeah. And then it's also sometimes I'm like when you're putting together the I'll look at the outline that you put together, which Amanda works so hard on our outlines and she makes them so good. And then I'll be like, surely that happened Uh, before Monday. Yeah. And then it's like, no, I know it was yesterday. I know. Which was five years ago. I know it's a stressful (laughs) week because I've been jeweling a lot this week and Mm. my voice sounds it sounds a little. The jewel voice. Yeah, I know. I just. I just watched, have you seen the Netflix series Broken? No. It's about I various things that are broken. broken. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and there's an episode on jewels that will scare you. Oh, nice. Good. And That's so no, I if need you to be scared. Be, I'm not, not to put any pressure on you, but if you want to be freaked out about yeah. your jewel, you the can problem watch is that. that. Oh, I'm very, the problem is that like the bodegas around where I live are, I think they're trying to like offload them and they're like very <laughs> cheap. So I usually will just like, if I feel like I'm doing it too much, which yeah. is at, at all, I'll like throw it away for a week. And that used to like yeah. be a barrier because then I'd have to pay like $50 to get it back. I smoked yes. cigarettes for a really long time. Yes. Quit. I don't know why. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. And it now was, I'm like, jewels? Well, Great. I felt like I, I smoked cigarettes for a long time, used the jewel to quit. Now I'm off the jewel, but I feel like the jewel was helpful to quit. Yes. And they kind of addressed that in Broken. Okay. So, it definitely is. I, I picked it back up when like I was finding I was really tempted by cigarettes again, but I yeah. also like 
found that since I don't smoke cigarettes, I'm kind of grossed out by them now. Like, yes. it's, it's hard. I'm like, but there's this little computer that's so I much know. better. It's it's weird. It was weird how much the transition for me personally happened. And if any of you guys are listening out there who yeah. were thinking about quitting smoking, this is my personal experience. Never but start either. Yeah. Kids. Also, just don't, if you if you're thinking of picking it up, don't do that. It's actually I don't know if you've heard this. Pretty addictive. Yeah. Hard to quit right. once you get involved. So. Um, <laughs> I when I started juuling to quit smoking, cigarettes became gross to me pretty fast, which was yeah. really helpful. Yeah. Um, not that I won't have a drink and engage in like right. one casual yeah. cigarette every once in a while. But what I will say about Broken before we get into yeah. the news, because I'm sure everyone wants to hear about this obscure <laughs> Netflix series, is that the first episode is about counterfeit makeup, and that Ooh. one scared the crap out of me. Cool. Buy from I'm watch real. That this weekend. Real vendors yeah. don't buy knockoff makeup. There's there's poo poo and pee pee yeah. in there. Oh. <laughs> and knockoff knockoff vapes seem knockoffs yeah. are not not great. Yeah, in this it's really genre. Just, just don't buy knockoff stuff. Yeah. They got a lot of crazy shit in there. They're yeah. making them in the back of a van. <laughs> it's not good. Or they're made by like straight up very popular YouTube stars that then they're like, yeah, yeah. there's like metal in this lipstick. Yeah. Still in the back of a van though. Yeah. They're just yeah. <laughs> Makeup is the patriarchy. Don't touch yes. it. No, I'm just kidding. Do whatever you want. Ah, do whatever do you do? want. Do whatever you want. Yeah. Um, um, speaking of the patriarchy, at the end of this episode, yes. I have an interview with Teresa Younger, who is the CEO of the Ms. Foundation for Women. Yay. We are going to have Teresa on regular. We've had her on before to talk about equal pay. We're going to have her on regularly to just talk about how the issues we talk about in every podcast directly impact women. We often get a chance to talk about that, but we wanted to make sure we had like a dedicated place to do that every couple of weeks. So we started with healthcare because when we first started talking about doing this, we're like, well, this healthcare came up in that debate. So maybe it's, we should, mm-hmm. and then it came up again and again and in every single debate. Yeah. So it's we just, the issue of the, the Democratic issue. primary, yeah. I feel. So, yeah. but we yeah. talked a lot about, you know, the not intuitive or not obvious ways that barriers to accessing healthcare affect women and there are lots of them and it's terrifying um, and actually like what to do about it. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And everybody should look into the Miss Foundation too. Yes. Because yes. it's a really cool organization. Love them. All right. Enough chit chat or uh, on to the scheduled uh, chit chat. Yes. <laughs> Tell me what's getting you through the week. Okay. By now everybody has seen it but we gotta talk about Peloton. The mm-hmm. Peloton ad uh for those of you guys who don't know, Peloton is a stationary bike company. You get a stationary bike. I love a cycling class. I've looked into yeah. Peloton. It's a little cost prohibitive for me <laughs> yeah. personally, but I don't knock anybody who wants to ride a bike at their house. However, <laughs> Peloton <laughs> released a holiday commercial this year. It does sound year. really stupid when you say it. Like, I know people love it. Yeah, but it's, but it's like, funny. you want to ride a bike in the house? That's Go fine. <laughs> you could do it outside for cheaper, but oh hey, you want to ride a bike in the house? I get it. Uh, Peloton released a holiday ad that has was immediately roasted by f- far and wide. Yeah. Basically, the premise of the ad is a very frightened-looking woman <laughs> is gifted yeah. a Peloton by her husband, and the whole thing has a very Black Mirror-ish quality to it. A lot of people were saying they were like, "This is a Black Mirror episode." And then she spends the next year making a video of herself using the Peloton over the course of the year. And then his gift the next Christmas is her video of herself <laughs> using the bike. She is thin and yes. uh, I guess I would say ethnically ambiguous. Yeah. But she's very thin. Yes. She's like a thin at, from the beginning. She's, yeah. She's an extremely gorgeous woman. Um, 
the, the, so basically it sparked all the conversation about like number one should you get your wife fitness equipment if she for doesn't Christmas? ask if she yeah if she is completely surprised by it maybe not should you buy your wife something for two thousand dollars without discussing that expense with her first maybe not oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think the main thing about the ad I feel like the other stuff about the ad wouldn't have gotten as crazy of a play if the ad itself wasn't so weird yeah like, I, like when I'm describing it I feel like you at home if you haven't seen it would be like I don't know that sounds like it could be fine but that if you actually watch yeah. it it's got an eerie hostage yeah. quality we were to gonna it. put a clip in it but I was like I watched that I watched it with my eyes closed and I was like no it doesn't work you have to watch no. it that's the thing is that she is trapped in her home yeah uh peddling to nowhere <laughs> taking videos of herself for a year yes my favorite is that she's like I'm really nervous, but here we go. And it's like nervous to ride a yeah. stationary bike yeah. at your house. Right. <laughs> like, I know. What? And you know what? There's so I I think maybe I was listening to this on a podcast, but Peloton, like people make good ass friends in their Peloton classes. There are communities. Yeah. And I think that's pretty dope. Like, yeah. And I wish that they could have made a really cool commercial based on that. But yeah. this was bizarre. My best guess is that this was something that was a very normal idea when pitched in the room and something happened between pitch and ex- execution where we got this like yeah. nightmare scenario. So um, Peloton has responded. Basically, ever since the ad went viral, I've been waiting, waiting, waiting. When yeah. is Peloton going to say something? When is Peloton going to say something? They're spinning their wheels. Uh, is the woman in the ad in the witness protection program yeah. now? Like, what's going on? Because I do feel bad for her because I could, like, as someone who goes out for commercials, yes. I would be like, oh, whenever I'm going to do this stupid commercial. Right. And then it goes, it, they cut it together yeah. and it's so scary and it's viral and now I'm a meme. Like, that's, uh, that is a nightmare to me. So my heart you goes would, out to you Peloton would, you girl. You would spin it. Yeah, but you would it would figure <laughs> yes. it out. I yeah, I would have to if I became a meme. Yeah, I would have to embrace having become a meme. Yes, pro- publicly. You would be like Fiji girl, but yes, but real. much much better. Real. <laughs> yeah, not staged. Oh, how okay. did they respond to this? Okay, so Peloton responded. Uh, they told they told CNBC we were disappointed in how some have misinterpreted this commercial we are encouraged by and grateful for the outpouring of support we've received from those who understand what we were trying to communicate and then and this is what was the saddest to me is they included screenshots of like a couple emails that they got from people being like I liked the ad and a screenshot of one positive Facebook post and I'm just like you can find somebody to post something positive on Facebook about anything. Yes. Anything. And then you wrote, and that's how Nazis happened. Yes. <laughs> that's what I said in the newsletter. Like, literally, we got Nazis because a couple people on Facebook right. were like, honestly, pro. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It's like, <laughs> I don't mind it. What's the big problem? And this week, Peloton stock tumbled by 9%. That's yeah. That's 942 million in market value. I'm sure they'll be fine, yeah, ultimately. I don't think yeah. that Peloton is an evil company. I honestly think... The ad was just weird, weird and funny. And yeah. I, I have not read that many people who sincerely had a problem with it. Yeah, don't get your partner something that implies their yeah. their body needs to unless change. She's unless she's like a huge cycling person, which like maybe put sure, that in the right. ad. Yeah. Where it's her like... If you go to Peloton classes all the time, I don't know if they have them anywhere other than New York. They have... Yeah, they have you classes can go to studios. in New York. But maybe they could have done... An ad like slow, slowly poking. This is me pitching yeah. to Peloton who's listening. <laughs> slowly poking at like the other cycling studios and it shows her and she's so exhausted and she's having a hard time getting to and from her cycling classes. Right. But she loves cycling and it makes her feel good. And then at 
the end of the ad, her husband gives her the Peloton, and it makes yes. sense because this is a genuine interest that she has, and it's actually going to help her, and all this stuff. Or mm. what you were saying, where it's like a lonely person yeah. on their bike, and they make a bunch of friends. For the Peloton or, community. Or I don't, I don't know. Maybe we take Christmas out of it. Whatever. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. But this ad was. I remember watching it and just being like, "This is." weird yeah she's also alternately switching between like vertical and horizontally filming herself which makes it hard for her it's just just stylistically you need to make a choice if this is a christmas gift for your husband yeah and also she moves the peloton from her living room to the basement and all over the house (laughs) is that just a highlight like how portable it is maybe still pretty heavy maybe it is like I think it's like so when your husband makes you go in the basement for a while, yeah. you can take your, your yeah, exercise like, Get out of my with you. Bars. Yeah. So yeah. she goes into the basement. Okay, I'll send you a video later. <laughs> All right, That's Amanda, rough. what has been getting you through this oh week God. in Trump's America? Okay, a lot of things. I had we did actually have a lot of things uh, to choose from this week. So we're going to get into this a little bit later in detail. But yesterday, the House Judiciary Committee had its first hearing in the impeachment inquiry of this next phase. We'll talk about the details. But the context you need for this is that they had four renowned legal scholars, Mm -hmm. um, one of them from Stanford, one from Harvard, one from UNC Chapel Hill, one from George Washington U. Um, The two from Stanford Mm -hmm. and Harvard, I guess, were sort of the most seem to make the strongest case against yes. Trump. They sort of spoke to like what the constitution, what the framers would want us to do. Um, all three of the one, three were handpicked by Democrats, one by Republicans, but afterwards Republicans, you know, they always have a new thing to pick on Yeah, when they're left with nothing. So a gentleman named Louis Gomer, a Republican from Texas, he was so outraged by these legal scholars opinions that this is what he recommended to Americans who are concerned. And so all I got to say is, if you love America, mamas, don't let your babies grow up to go to Harvard or Stanford Law School. Wow. Wow, indeed. You love your babies? <laughs> don't so send funny. them to the top universities. I know. It's country. funny because like, we are, people already make sort of like vague jokes about, about people on the right not respecting intellect. Like they hated how smart Obama was. But this is like for him to actually straight up say, women of America... Do, if you care about the future of our nation, do not let your child go to an Ivy League school. Right? It's also bizarre because the the lawyer that the Republicans brought in went to George, George Washington, yeah. which is a super elite college itself. And who's their boy? Brett Kavanaugh, who's, right. you know, <laughs> got his penis out at Yale right. running around. <laughs> yeah. like, Yale law is fucking fine. Yeah. So it's, it's, well, first of all, it's like picky and choosy, but also just mamas don't send that your babies so crazy. to Harvard is... Very funny. It's very funny. It's very, very funny. Wow. I love that being the takeaway. Yeah, right. They, like, that was his only, well, he can find nothing wrong with what they actually said. So it was just like, well, Harvard and Stanford corrupted them. Yeah. Also, they're mad Republicans at Harvard and Stanford. Oh, my God. Yes. Many, many, many Republicans. Yes. <laughs> like, like, listen, bud, don't worry. Your side is represented there. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, my friend went to Harvard and guess who his classmate was? Who? Jared Kushner. <laughs> mm-hmm. wow. They were friends. They've exchanged emails. I asked him about really? it. Really? Mm-hmm. He said pl- polite via email. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. Yeah, I can see like, that. I think they, it wasn't, right. you know, he wasn't renting from him right. or like anything. Yeah, like yeah. He wasn't a tenant of his, so I think they had a fine relationship. Yeah. Just, could you kindly vacate the home you've lived in for? Yes. He did tell me that when they would be hanging out socially, Jared would always have to like take calls and leave because like something was going wrong with one of his buildings. <laughs> 
He was literally a landlord. Yeah, because he so literally funny. was a landlord yeah. in college, which is like... And they didn't maintain their building, so there was always exactly. something wrong. Because yeah. the landlord was a college student. Yeah. Like, I don't want my <laughs> landlord... Outside of Boston. Yeah, exactly. Some fucking college student who's actively yeah. at Harvard. The tenant's I, like, where are you writing? He's like, oh, I just... Uh, I'm right outside of Boston. Yeah. I want my landlord to be yeah. like a dude named Louie who right. lives two doors down right. and does not do anything else. Maybe Louie Gomert's a, a landlord. Yeah. Maybe, and that's a respectable that's a respectable job yeah. for him to have. Should we get into the main news? We should. Uh, NATO. I know. We're going to start abroad, and then we're yes, going to zoom gonna back, back in domestically. Yeah, yeah. I was like, as I was doing the island, I was thinking of like a Sex and the City episode, and it's like, meanwhile, in Washington, D.C. <laughs> but... Uh, in London earlier this week, Donald Trump met with other world leaders in the NATO alliance for a few days of gaff-filled meetings and the continued degradation of our place in the international community. Yeah, it's a pretty good explanation yeah. of what happened. I would say. Um, first of all, what is NATO? Whenever this comes up, I'm always like, NATO, NAFTA, am, am I having the correct reaction to everything? Yes. NATO is the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, also called the North Atlantic Alliance. It's an intergovernmental military alliance between 29 countries it's basically like a system of collective defense where we all defend each other if one of us get attacked it came in mighty handy for us around 9-11 yes it's pretty key to like keeping us safe yeah and it's am i wrong in saying it's like a cold war era thing or i think came it, out of I think that right after the second world war okay yeah yes so yeah it's a but i think it helped like make the cold war not as dangerous as it could have been because we're all obligated to protect each other right because yeah. russia's not in nato i believe not russia no. and like russia every right time now, nato would... meets up they all talk talk about right. russia <laughs> russia and china that's all I, they talk about I, I, they just <laughs> talk about our friends that aren't here exactly yeah they're like we have to have a whole meeting to talk about russia <laughs> yeah and the trump's so what what is trump's beef with nato it seems mm-hmm. to be that he his general beef is that we spend too much money on things. Yes. He doesn't seem to like spending a dime for anything international. Yes. That's his beef with like all of our alliances. Right. He he's right. always they cost saying us. Yeah, he's always saying that America pays more than everybody else and we get the least out of it. That is yeah. what that's his that's argument. His, yeah. That's not my yeah. argument. Well, we do we seem do to pay. Yeah. I mean, but we're we're the biggest Right, right, exactly. Right, right. We pay the most because, and the fact that these guys have signed up to help us defend ourselves is like, I think, I I think we can afford to pay a little more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, also, if something goes down, yeah, it's definitely going to be because of something we did. (laughs) Like, it's one we're one hundred percent involved. No, yeah. Yeah, The Netherlands aren't going to be like. Oops, so we kind of stepped in it. Yeah, and then everyone's like, let's get yeah, to it. Right, no, right, that's right. not how it's yeah, going to happen. Yeah, protect so. their prostitution and weed. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but this, so he basically singled out other nations that, so there's this goal that nations would contribute 2% of their GDP to the defense budget. Uh, they set that goal in 2014. A lot of the nations are not close. The U.S. spent about 3.4% of GDP. So that seems to be like the background issue. Is yes. That Trump doesn't think that we're getting enough for what we put yeah. in. I know. I'm like, who even told him that? I know. Like, I know. He didn't just know that. Who told exactly. him? That's, that's like whenever he seems to have um, an explanation to something that seems like it could be driven by an actual philosophy. Yeah. Even if it's wrong, I'm always very interested yeah, in what like, the source well, that is. How did you get this information into his, how did we squirrel it away into the right. brain there? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. But yeah, he met with French President Macron. Some some viral clips out of that. They were yes. basically fighting the whole time. Yeah, and they used to be bros. Yeah. They Remember have... they gave each other, Macron gave him like a friendship tree. Yeah. He did give him a friendship tree and they had those long handshakes, those yes. long sensual Lingering, handshakes. Yeah. 
but they are not friends anymore. Yeah. Uh, Macron basically prior to the the this press conference they did where they just yelled at each other for like however long macron had complained about a quote unquote brain death of nato that he attributed in part to a lack of us leadership so he got asked about that comment in front of trump because all these reporters are messy and if yeah. we get to world war 3 it's cuz of them totally <laughs> so, um so he asked him about it and macron was like yeah, a lot of people have been um, sensationalizing those comments, but also I stand 100% yeah. behind them, right. and I, I said what I said, basically. Even Angela Merkel didn't like that he said that. The German chancellor apparently well, was yeah. like, that's a sweeping judgment. Yeah, but I feel like Angela Probably Merkel she was like, like, yo, man, I'm fucking smart, too. I've been around for 15 years yeah. keeping this together. How dare you? He yeah. can go. And also just like, maybe we don't aggravate the right. insane old man that we all have to like... Yeah. Play nice with. But we did. But oh, 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 did they? Oh, my goodness. So after this press conference, which was kind of a mess, they fought about they got in a fight about like how many ISIS fighters are actually from France. They got in a fight about a lot of things. It was not good. And then he sort of fought with Trudeau, too, later. I think yes. they just sort of like sparred. I didn't hear yes. as much about that one. So then they they go to the palace yeah. and a video gets taken of Justin Trudeau of Canada, Emmanuel Macron of France, Boris Johnson, who's supposed to be what the hell? Trump's little twin buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Just shows how two faced that motherfucker is. And Princess Anne, who yeah. we, I could spend all day talking about how much I yeah. love Princess Anne now that I've finished the crown. Yeah. But and Dutch Prime Minister Mark Rutte. Oh, I forget. I left him out this morning when I po- well. or yesterday morning when I posted it, and I meant to go back. And then like about ten Dutch people <laughs> responded on Instagram and stories. Like, like, he was there too. Mark was there. <laughs> Mark was also there. Okay, yeah. Mark. Shout out, Mark. Mark was there. Yep. Justice for Mark. Yeah. <laughs> so they were all caught. Pretty obviously talking shit about Trump. I, the juiciest parts of the shit talking were inaudible on the yeah. tape, which is probably good for world peace, yeah. but sad for me yeah. personally who loves right. people it talking shit about the president. It seemed to be like Justin Trudeau, I think, is like a yenta. He seemed to yes. be like really in, like letting, yes. blowing off some steam. So it's yeah. to start really, I'm sure you guys have all seen it. They're talking about like why Macron was late, and then just well, he was late because he does a Trump does a forty minute press conference, blah blah, and then he talks about how like watching Trump's team's jaw drop to the floor whenever he does anything, mm-hmm. and you can see Justin Trudeau like he wants to talk so oh, much, he, he wants has to, so much to say. It's well, it's like when you get to talk shit about yes. your weird oh God, neighbor, totally. like the angry man who lives next door. Yes. And you're just like yes, have you seen? Yes. Like finally your friends come over for dinner and they see the angry man who lives next door doing right. some of his weird stuff and you're like, see? Yeah. This is what I deal with every day, this yes, guy. Exactly. He's at yeah. my window, he's screaming. <laughs> like, <laughs> Literally. So, so they never mention Trump by name. No. But it's very clear. Yeah. Context clues. Yeah. Who they're all talking about. They're all laughing. And none of them have denied it. I no, exactly. Also, like, no no one has was like, again, yeah, I said that. But no one has been like, no, we were actually talking about <laughs> this guy. Yeah. No, we were talking about Jeffrey Epstein. We hate yeah. him. Like <laughs> they were not. It's they've all just been like, I wish that video hadn't been released. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so well, caught red-handed talking shit. Yeah. Trump afterwards was asked about Justin it. Justin Trudeau had actually painted his hand red. 
What? No, I was, oh, I was like, well, I, was, I got confused I because like, Justin yes, Trudeau's a history of painting yes, himself. Yes. <laughs> exactly. There we go. I was like, wait, Justin painted. Oh, oh God, Justin. <laughs> oh, Justin, no. <laughs> He's um, happy to be back. Um, so Trump got asked about it afterwards. He called Trudeau tr- two-faced. But he also, the weird thing is he also tried to kind of, pre- he tried to be like, well, Justin's two-faced. But also it doesn't bother me. And like, I kind of yeah. don't care. And like, whatever. They're just mad because I'm cool. I'm actually cooler than them. Yeah. And like, I, like the reason why I wasn't invited to their party was because I yeah. didn't want to be invited. And like, that's why I didn't go. Cause I wasn't right. invited and I didn't want to be. <laughs> like, and then he was like, Trudeau's, I don't know. He's a nice guy. And then apparently later I didn't see this part, but Trump like is like, did you hear when I said that too? That was funny. That two face thing. Right. <laughs> It's like it's not like, a joke. It, yeah, it's like I was like, it's not it's funny. Like what you really. called your friend in se- in seventh grade. Yeah, yeah. And it's you know whatever. If that yeah. that's probably how he feels about Justin Trudeau now. But then Trump also was supposed to have a press conference later in the day. He cut that off, and then he tweets and he's like, "Actually, we've been having too many press conferences, so I think I'm just gonna come back early." Yeah, I'm gonna go. <laughs> I think it really hurt his feelings. I think so because some but of he, his uh, yeah some of his boys were in there, namely. Boris Johnson. And I had read that like even the day before somebody affiliate associated with Boris Johnson asked Trump not to like there's this there's this not theory but there's a suggestion that there are British leaders that are open to selling the National Health Service to oh, the United States. There's something I heard something about this. I don't understand honestly I don't understand how that's possible or how that would work but apparently it's a real threat and there were lots of protests about it um, when Trump was there. So I but then when asked about it, Trump was like, no, I don't know where you got that. I've never heard of that, even though Trump started the rumor. And I read that he was sort of asked to do that to make Boren Johnson look OK because he has mm-hmm. an election coming up. Yes. Like not to really like harp on that too mm-hmm. much. And then the guy's like, oh, is that why you were late? Yeah. It, well, yeah, they do have an election coming up. So I wonder if that's why Boris is like cooled yeah, on yeah, Donald. Yeah, yeah. But also, I feel like Bor- if we know anything about Boris Johnson, it's that he's like, right. he's two faced. Yes, he's the two faced right. one. Yeah, Justin Trudeau is <laughs> Justin Trudeau is two faced for a lot other of faces, reasons. Yeah. Yes, but not this. <laughs> so and Macron, right. I think, is on the up and up as is Princess Anne. Yeah, love Anne. Right. You know what I learned in the well, there was also a video of Anne that people thought was her shunning Trump, but it's actually really kind of not. Yeah, it was just her being late. Yeah, I think, I think. <laughs> to, to right. a meeting. Right. But my favorite Princess Anne fact, which I learned after all of this. Is that she was once the victim of an attempted kidnapping, and when a man at gunpoint told her to get out of the car, she said, "Not bloody likely." Love it. I love Amazing. that. Okay, Good for her, she's having a viral week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now, and her, after her star turn in the crown, yeah, the war, the royals need a win this week. <laughs> they let's do. Just say. I yeah. mean, they're fine, but yeah. <laughs> they'll be fine forever. But yeah. uh, they, it's definitely nice that they've got. Uh, a fun yeah a fun one right out out in front right now yeah prince andrew should stay in his room forever <laughs> yes he the queen canceled his birthday i know it's and i love so that. funny that makes me laugh so hard i know i mean i wish he faced like real consequences right, that right. weren't just the queen canceling his birthday but there's there's right. something particularly nice that his birthday was canceled yeah i agree <laughs> it's perfect yeah all right meanwhile in washington dc meanwhile okay yesterday the house judiciary committee like we we're talking about held its first hearing to the McEachern inquiry this came a day after Adam Schiff's Intelligence Committee released its report. It basically said everything we know. It was 300 pages. 
main conclusions, the president abused his power by leveraging symbolic and financial support in exchange for help smearing a political opponent, basically. There was overwhelming, overwhelming evidence he did this. These actions also amount to soliciting election interference from a foreign government, and these actions compromise national security, and that he tried to cover it up. Is there anything new in this? Yeah, there were some fun call records um, yes. that showed Ju- Rudy Giuliani making a lot of calls to the White House and to people like Mike Pompeo, John Bolton, Devin Nunes, Sean Hannity, not in the no. White House, and a mysterious number listed only as minus one that is believed to be Trump because apparently that was his number in, in matters having to do with the Mueller investigation. That's or his IQ. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and I think like individual one is what the president is right? referred to as. Yeah. And these are all around the time that he was working to oust Maria Ivanovich. Mm-hmm. And it just sort of indicates that there was an orchestrated effort or even if not everybody was in on it and it's insidious, they knew about it. He yes. was working to inform them. He was trying to get in touch with them about this. You know what's also crazy to me? That um, Rudy Giuliani is currently in Ukraine in interviewing prosecutors for a documentary he wants to make about how impeachment is a sham who somebody on our that follows us on instagram sent me a picture of um him on his her flight or his flight oh my god (laughs) it's like where is this like norwegian air business class to rome (laughs) that i just feel like that must have been a thing where he just got the idea and he went and nobody knew that that was happening until like someone in the white house was like oh dear god he's gone to ukraine Why? I mean, you just like, you're going to do a podcast and like, this is just more evidence. You're literally creating evidence. That is how my projects tend to develop, though. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do a podcast. And I'm like, you know what? No, I got to go all in. It's It's a documentary. I'm starting a Kickstarter. You know what? I'm on a plane to Ukraine. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. He's trying to get his like goals in for the end of the year. And he's like, I did say I would make a documentary this year. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's on my goal. It's on Um, my goals. Okay. So that's on there. And then the judiciary held its hearing. I mean... It was kind of boring. It was interesting for a while, yeah. but it was it was a long one. It was like all day. Four people, three chosen by Democrats, one by Republicans. Um, yeah, they just shared like different historical elements of why impeachment would be justified. I mean, it, it was a little bit less interesting to me just because um, I didn't have to watch that closely to see if any new evidence was yeah. coming out. But I, they said two things that sort of made me look at impeachment in a different way. One mm-hmm. that... It's also a function to make sure that presidents do not become kings. Yeah. Like that's just hearing like you forget because it's never been like a problem. Like they were so yeah. fucking worried about a monarchy. Yeah. And they were like any foreign influence could be something that puts us down that path. And another one that um, they said a couple of times that a president that sort of like has a sketchy election in the yeah. begin with should be watched extra closely to see if they do it again. Yeah. And I just had never heard either of those things yeah. before and I found them really compelling. And they're obviously not flattering for Trump or necessarily relevant to like his I mean they are relevant to his specific actions, but there were just different dimensions that I heard yesterday that was like, oh shit, yeah, we gotta do this. We gotta do yeah. this now. But and the, then we should say that the Republican pick, who is yes. also a legal scholar who was invited to speak, uh, he's the one who's from George Washington, he basically said his argument was that, like, yeah, presidents should be impeached for abuses of power, but the House hasn't actually proven that, like, those were committed yet, and this is going too fast. He called it, like, slipshod. Yeah. Which is a fun... Yeah. A fun uh, elite college's yeah. word <laughs> yeah. to use. Uh, <laughs> he said his dog was mad. Did you hear that part? No. He was like, He was like, I know everybody's mad. My neighbor's mad. My wife's mad. My kid's mad. My dog's mad. And she's a golden doodle. She never gets mad. Oh, that's a cute yeah. joke. Yeah, it was. <laughs> that's cute. You know? I, yeah. Okay. 
But his argument was basically, we're going way too fast. This hasn't been proven yet. The evidence is shoddy. Yeah. You you don't have, the case isn't there yet. Yeah, he was like, I don't think the call is perfect. He said he didn't vote for Trump. His opening statement, I, I was worried because I found it, um like, like to the people it would need to be convincing for, I think it probably was. But yeah. the, obviously the other three got like so much airtime. And then after that, there was a clip going around of him speaking. He was also an expert for the Clinton impeachment. And he basically said, like, we need to do this. We need to preserve the office and we need to hold people accountable. <laughs> that's, yeah. I mean, that's really something. Right. I mean, I guess I would say the Republicans had a better day yesterday than the other hearings. Yeah. Just, oh yeah. By virtue of the fact that they were, um, I think able to make their case more. Yeah. It was all theoretical. Yeah. It, like we weren't, they weren't like talking to eyewitnesses and like talking to people who were there about things that they saw. So it wasn't like damning evidence was coming out constantly. Yeah. They were just kind of able to argue their right. but case. It, yeah, but it's interesting because that, that like, his name is Jonathan Turley. His argument is not theirs. Like, I think he no. straight up said at one point, no, the call wasn't perfect. Yeah. Like, but you I don't can think see any... them getting cocky throughout yeah. kind of, because I think all those, all the, if you're, a Republican man in the House, your whole thing is like, debate me. Yeah. Debate yeah. me. <laughs> eh. So like, that's like, yeah. that's like what they love. Yeah. So they got to, you know, right. bust out their high school debate trophies and be like, but don't you think that in reality? Yeah, right. And it's like, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They had a lot of fun with the sort of breakout star of the day, who was yes. Stanford Law Professor Pamela Carlin, who mm-hmm. is like a, a celebrity in the field. So at various points in the hearing, I mean, she was amazing. Yeah. But some of us were talking about this today. Like, you could totally, it's very easy to see why. Like, she's an interesting choice for Democrats just because you can characterize her mm-hmm. or character, whatever that word is, a, a little easier. Like, she was pretty, she, like, clapped back to, like, lots of their yes. false claims. She clapped back to accusations that she couldn't possibly be prepared because the report just came out. Mm-hmm. Um, she, like, had a funny critique of, like, American poverty when Matt gets asked her, like, why she donated more to Hillary than Elizabeth Warren. She's like, well, I donate more to charity now because there's so many poor people. <laughs> and uh, then when they asked, who'd you vote for? She was like, I have a right to cast a secret ballot. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. And then something else that kind of got her into yeah Ugh, i don't even want to say get into trouble because it's so ridiculous we'll play, um, we'll play the clip and then you guys can decide for yourself how horrible it was what? mr collins i would like to say to you sir that i read transcripts of every one of the witnesses who appeared in the live hearing because i would not speak about these things without reviewing the facts so i'm insulted by the suggestion that as a law professor i don't care about those facts but everything i read on those occasions tells me that when President Trump invited, indeed demanded foreign involvement in our upcoming election, he struck at the very heart of what makes this a republic to which we pledge allegiance. So kings could do no wrong because the king's word was law. And contrary to what uh, President Trump has said, Article 2 does not give him the power to do anything he wants. And I'll just give you one example that shows you the difference between him and a king which is the Constitution says there can be no titles of nobility. So while the president can name his son baron, he can't make him a baron. When you invoke the president's son's name here, when you try to make a little joke out of referencing Baron Trump, that does not lend credibility to your argument. It makes you look mean. It makes you look like you're attacking someone's family, the minor child of the president of the United States. I want to apologize for 
uh, what I said earlier about the president's son. It was wrong of me to do that. I wish the president would apologize, obviously, for the things that he's done that's wrong. But I do regret having said that. And I want to, this was a compilation of her mm-hmm. that I pulled from WAPO. She did not respond to that guy yelling at her. Mm-hmm. I don't think that was immediately after. I think yeah. that was later. I don't think she was like, oh, you're right. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I think she I think might have checked Twitter and been like, yeah. ugh. So <laughs> oh. what, what happened on Twitter? Melania has a Twitter? Yeah. What? Melania can't. Melania tweeted, a minor child deserves Baron Trump is her son with yes. Donald Trump. Their only child together. Mm-hmm. A minor child deserves privacy and should be kept out of politics. Pamela Carlin, you should be ashamed of your very angry and obviously biased public pandering and using a child to do it. Uh, Pence has come out and said it was inappropriate. I mean, this was like a big, this was their whole big thing it wasn't coming until, out. I feel like, well, I guess it was in the room, but after Melania was let, tweeted, yeah. then it just like exploded. But I'm sure the Melania tweet was a calculated yeah. thing because the White True. House was watching this and they were like, oh, we can take this. We can distract everyone. We can make everyone mad. Look. Yeah, that's true. I didn't even, I, I didn't even did she think say of anything that. bad no, about she didn't. Barron? No, the only, I feel like, I don't have kids, but yeah. I can imagine that hearing your child's name referenced in a public way when you were not expecting it. Yeah. I can see how yeah. that would be jarring and sort of pinch, but there's nothing wrong with what she... So M- Melania is the only person on earth who has any right to even an, a, to a tiny-ish reaction. To utter Baron's name. Right, right. <laughs> but it's, they made this like as if she was using a child as a political tool. Let's talk about the time that Melania... And Donald posed with the orphaned kid after his parents were killed in a Walmart. Right. They make fun of Greta on Twitter. Like, yes. if we're going to talk about not using kids as political weapons. Well, let's talk about what the GOP did to the fucking Parkland kids. Oh, my let's God. Let's talk about that. Oh, they, were, they, were, they were minor children. Yeah. How the GOP treated Chelsea Clinton, who got called ugly every, every day. damn day. They did it on, I mean, SNL did that shit to yeah. her. Like, obviously, we hopefully we've learned, and I think the Obama girls were treated relatively respectfully, yeah. but there was still weird yeah. stuff. I mean, there was that whole thing where people got thought they looked um, they looked like bored and snooty at right, like a turkey right. pardoning yeah. or yeah. whatever. And they were like, look, they're rolling their eyes. Yeah. They're wearing inappropriate outfits. Like, right. it's not every... Obviously, we should all stray away yeah. from di- directly invoking like the president's minor children who right. are not involved in politics. Baron Trump is a kid. He He's could be school. involved. He's like <laughs> <laughs> Stephen Miller's his babysitter. Yeah, I mean, what does Baron know? Yeah. Nothing. <laughs> He's a kid. But, but like, she just said yeah. his name to make a point about right. like no. It wasn't a critique. It was a yeah. No, it wasn't a critique. Yeah. Yeah. She was nothing. like, He's it was an nothing. Idiot. Like it's I mean, it's yeah. Again, I think she probably should have avoided doing that just yeah. in general, knowing these people. Like right. like they get they get really up in arms right. if you say anything yeah. about Baron. Right. Like say it's like it's like maybe there's a thing where if you say his name three times he yeah. a, he appears or something. It's like, funny that did Trump tweet anything about it? I think just Melania, but maybe Remember that but time I also when Trump was like him. said about Melania and Baron, like, well, Melania has a son, and, yeah. <laughs> and it's like he's your son. He's that man with my that tiny man with my last name. Yeah, I remember the last picture I saw of Baron. He was really well dressed. Yeah. I thought, and he's very tall. I'm sure he has some struggles. I mean, 
it cannot be cannot be easy easy for to, one to have Donald Trump as your dad and two to be involved in all of this right. at all. So I'm definitely pro leaving Barron alone. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think that this counts no. as attacking him either. Not at all. And it's it, not using him to pander. Yeah, they was like it was to make a point, but it's also like she probably she like could have made that call point. Your daughter a princess, but you can't make her a princess. Yeah, or something. He, she could have just said Maybe it. That would have been better. But, yeah, he would be like he can call Ivanka princess, but he can't make her a princess. Yeah. And then it would have been like one hundred percent. Yeah, she's court. a grown ass woman. And yeah, it's not. and she's like legitimately involved. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's true. <laughs> So, yeah, I feel like it was probably just in a, a like, poor form and not good strategy on yeah. Professor Carlin's point part, but not actually, like, a malicious or cruel. And I, did, I do think it was wise for her to be like, okay, sorry. Cause, because then she just w- took away the ammunition, even yeah. though they still used it. Yeah. Like, at least she could be like, I said I was sorry. Like, you can't say that I am not compassionate and I can't admit when I was wrong. She yeah. said she regretted doing that. And I do feel like, at least what I was seeing on Twitter... If that they've kind of backed off of it already a yes. little bit. Oh, yeah, because it's like not a thing. I think because Trump has literally tweeted fucked up stuff at Greta right. Thunberg, at the Parkland kids, like it's just the, yeah, the, the response presumably has, I don't, yeah. I know some people know his name, presumably has a family and yeah, you're inciting like, violence against them. Yeah, like there was just too much. I mean, I'm sure in very Trumpy circles they're yeah. still talking about it, but I, I at least what I have so- seen online. People were like, no, this is nothing. It gave them something to say when they had nothing really else to say yesterday other than that. And don't go to Ivy League law schools. Don't don't try to achieve the highest like points in your field. So funny. (sighs) Okay. More impeachment. This morning was exciting. Yes. This morning at 9 a.m. at 530 in the morning, her office sent out something saying like, we're going to have an announcement and then CNN looked at the Senate schedule Mm -hmm. for next year and the January schedule had been like wiped. Oh snap! For a possible trial, Nancy did say we're Clear moving your forward. Schedule, yeah, Mitch. yeah, yeah. And it's like, okay, how is this different from before? But she said we are. But before it was like we're going to explore if we should bring articles of impeachment. This one was we are doing that. I have told yes. people to do that. She had a meeting with her caucus last night, and I guess she just asked them like, "Are we ready? Are we doing this?" Mm-hmm. And apparently the answer was yes. She said. I, she has said over and over again And I appreciate it. She's like I don't like this Yeah I don't want to do this This is not good for any of us We are not doing this gleefully But we have looked at all of the evidence And we have no choice I bet In her heart though Yeah It's a little gleeful Oh yeah totally <laughs> He's so rude to her I know He's so rude to her Because she actually rubbed he, Yes He is actually threatened by her Yes Yeah And I, yeah he like she, And she's like She's gotten the best of him yes. several times All his in like very un- public yes. ways. So I think he really has a lot of All anger. his attempts to undermine her end up looking better really, for her. Yeah. Um, the Democrats had a poster up actually at the hearing yesterday. They joined the poster club mm-hmm. that said that suggested what um, articles they're pursuing, which were abuse of power slash bribery, obstruction of justice and obstruction of Congress. It's unclear if they'll bring in stuff from the Mueller investigation. I feel like they yeah. probably will because that was like the main when people were saying after the Mueller testimony or whenever, like they wanted to impeach for obstruction of justice, yeah. right? So I wonder if that's going to be part And of they that. talked about some of that stuff with the legal scholars yesterday, yeah. which would lead you to believe that some, the Mueller report ain't dead, y'all. Right. It's coming back. Yeah, yeah. It's back and better than ever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she said that Democrats won't wait for courts to make decisions about witness testimony. It was interesting because yesterday the Republicans legal expert was like, why aren't you waiting for these guys to testify? We have asked them. They will not come. The White House will not send them. And the the courts don't seem in a rush to like 
tell us whether they have to come or not. Yeah, I mean, it's like as much as I would love to see these big ticket people compelled to testify. And at first I was like, why aren't they doing that? Now I've kind of come around to their strategy, which is like, they're not going to right. testify. Right. They're not going no. to come before the House. Maybe they will come before the Senate. Right. So why not just start that now? Yeah, let's go and for it. And it's like, if they don't want to come defend themselves and like, okay, right. that's fine. Because now the only people who have testified are people who pretty much back up. Like, like no one has really meaningfully defended the president except for like a couple right. witnesses were kind of like, I didn't think the call was that bad. Like right, these, right. these people, by agreeing not to testify, they're also agreeing not to put their own case forward yeah. and not to defend themselves and not to give the Republicans anything to go off of or whatever. So yeah, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Why don't they testify? Like the more facts, the better, which... And Adam Schiff has said from the beginning that we'll make a negative inference. If you don't come, we're yeah. going to assume it's because you have something to hide. Well, look, at if the charge of obstruction of Congress is in there, it's yeah. probably because they're not allowing these people who are supposed to come to yeah. come. And the, it would get bogged down in the courts and honestly have to go all the way to the Supreme Court. And who knows what the Supreme Court would say. Exactly. So why, why yeah. even force them? Yeah. I wish that they could. Right. Um, but I, the Senate apparently has greater powers to call witnesses right, i don't I, know exactly yeah. what that entails and also since it is republican controlled maybe some of those people would be more likely to testify in front right. of the senate i don't know and, i feel like and they're not just going one to. would hope that like the, the cases that are still caught up in the courts like i don't know maybe john roberts can make a call like yeah, can we like, hustle this along right p.s the chief justice but also this morning so nancy made that announcement it was like five minutes long it was mm-hmm. fine and then on her way out, a journalist from Sinclair asked her, just shouted at her, do you hate Donald Trump? And she spun back around. We're going to play the clip, but you have to watch it. It's on our Instagram, too. She spun back around, and this is what she said. Representative Collins yesterday suggested that the Democrats are doing this simply because they don't like the guy. I have nothing to do with it. Let me just say this. I think it's an important I point. I think the president is a coward when it comes to helping uh, our government kids who are afraid of gun violence. I think he is cruel when he doesn't deal with the, the, helping our dreamers, the, of which we're very proud. I think he's in denial about the, constitu- about the uh, climate crisis. However, that's about the election. This is about the elect. Take it up in the election. This is about the Constitution of the United States and the facts that lead to the president's violation of his oath of office. And as a Catholic, I resent your using the word hate in a sentence that addresses me. I don't hate anyone. I was raised in a way that is full, a heart full of love and always prayed for the president. And I still pray for the president. I pray for the president all the time. So don't mess with me when it comes to words like that. Ooh, I know. Oh, I love, I love that, like the most poignant display of religious values and politics in years came from a liberal from California. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. It's don't, amazing. Don't play with me. Right. And I uh, thought that in that answer, like she was walking away and then she runs the whole clip. You can see her like waving her finger. I don't mean that in a bad way. I was like, how do you describe a woman being confrontational mm-hmm. without even sounding a little bit? So like she gets in his face and she's like. I am pointing. She's like, no, how like, do not say that to me. Yeah. And then runs back to the podium and gives this really 
if if I were somebody that was on the fence and thought to myself, like, I still don't understand why we don't just wait till the election. She was like, I don't like all of his policies. I hate them. But that's not enough to impeach him. Yeah. Like, she's the one that. She's like, this isn't about his policies. She was this urged, isn't about right. that. It's she was about urged the to impeach Bush so, W so many times. And she was like, you can't impeach over. The framers don't want us to do this over maladministration or us as long as policies. Like, yeah, I don't like this. I pray for the man. I hate this. Yeah, but, but I don't I, hate him. Yes, I don't hate others. I just love her popping off. It was amazing. All right. Should we get into the election section real quick? Let's do it. Kamala's out. She's dropped out. Kamala dropped out of the race. The senator from California officially ended her 2020 presidential campaign, citing lack of financial resources and unmoving poll numbers. Um, I was was surprised. Yeah. I, um, after she dropped out, you, I had been, I had an open tab of that New York Times story Mm -hmm. about her campaign. I was like, okay, I have to read this. And it sort of suggested like she might drop out in September. Um, so it didn't seem like, I guess it did seem abrupt just because there are people she's pull, she was pulling out about 3%. But at one point, like, I think after that first debate, yeah. she was in the lead for a few days. She had yeah. 20,000 people at her announcement in Oakland. Yeah. It, I mean, it was a pretty, like, quick rise and fall for her, which is why I think it's so much more interesting than anyone yeah. else who's dropped out. Even, like, Beto, who also had sort of this flash in the pan moment and then yeah. struggled. Um, she was like front runner, front runner status. Beto was never really there. Yeah. I would um, say Pete kind of eclipsed her. Yeah. Eventually. And it's really like, interesting. If you guys haven't read um, this New York Times article that came out about her campaign, it's basically talking about number one, she had one of her top aides uh, quit rather abruptly. Um, not, or not like abruptly, but basically. She, she, was, she was probably just like a very sort of scathing resignation letter, right? Yeah, her, her resignation letter basically was like, I've never seen a campaign that was so disorganized or has treated people as poorly. She was like, I think that Kamala is the best candidate, but there's we're three months out of Iowa and we have no clear vision to win. It was like pretty damning. And this came after Kamala had kind of hastily fired a lot of people and moved all of her offices and like really restructured the campaign. And I think this... Um, this top aide was like really upset about the firings and the way that those firings were handled. And that ire seems to, we don't know, it seems to be aimed less at her as a candidate and more um, her campaign manager, yes. who I think she carried over from her set at race and mm-hmm. um, who managed the campaign along with her sister, Maya Harris. And just seems like there wasn't like that piece said that like after they did those massive layoffs to focus on Iowa, her sister like they had no idea it was going to be that many people and like the optics of it and 50 current and former staffers spoke to the new york times about this which is crazy your campaign's got to be kind of a mess yeah you get a really if you read the article you get a really interesting picture of a campaign that had a really great strong candidate that just didn't know what to do that like lacked vision lacked an ability to go forward i think she also um what has clearly come out of this primary is this liberals versus moderates thing and i think that she kind of never really found her place in that debate whereas you see someone like pete 
who I would say started out kind of in like a progressive area and then really saw that he was like, no, I could actually stake a claim out for myself by being this like not young, Joe Biden, yeah. not Joe Biden alternative not to Joe, Joe Biden. Yeah. So he kind of made this really successful pivot. But I think she got caught in the middle there. I think Cory Booker is caught in the middle there. Um, Beto, too. I think all the people who got caught in the middle of that of those two sides yeah. have been really, really struggling. Yeah. Right, right. And it just also seemed like the way that they had strategized, like which states to win were just not really like they this piece was saying that they'd use sort of like California strategies to yes. win a national election. I don't really know what that means. Yeah. But um, just not focused on the right ways. And she went through like she cycled through like several different taglines. I mean, the only part of the piece that really implicated her was that she seemed to have a hard time helping her campaign decide on what that vision would be. Yeah. Which I bet was just sort of out of desperation. Like, I feel like we've all been in that place where you feel like you need to, like, you're working on a project, you have to incorporate so many different things that your final result is just muddled and bad. Yeah. And I, I like, totally felt like, that uh, as I was reading that. It's like, I should have just taken, like, remember her final slogan was justice is on the ballot? What does that mean? Yeah. And then it's what for does the that people. Mean? What does that mean if I need to, like, if I have student loans or I can't feed my kid? Like, what yeah. does that mean? I think there was like a part of her campaign that wanted to do this, like, I'm the prosecutor thing. Yeah. But then that, Kamala yeah. as a cop became kind of like this meme. And that was actually, yeah. I feel like they put a lot of stake in like, okay, we're going to do this like for the people justice thing. And then when that was turned on her as a negative, it they didn't know what to do yeah. with that. Whereas like, you know what Liz and Bernie are. Like, Bernie out and out socialist. He's the progressive guy he's that's it elizabeth warren is like the big banks regulations person yeah. pete is the young new moderate upstart joe biden is fucking joe biden right even andrew yang who like i would say is kind of has staked out like his own little special place as like the outsider tech guy whatever obviously he doesn't have the polling numbers of those other people but i feel like he stays his momentum grows and stays because he has a thing. Yeah. And I think the candidates yes. are struggling that are struggling, like they don't have a thing. Amy Klobuchar even has a thing. Yeah. She's in the moderate lane. It's we true. know that she's there. So I feel like Kamala never found her thing. What's sad is that as of right now for the December debate, only white candidates have qualified now. Um yeah. with the loss of Kamala, Castro has not qualified. And before the Yang gang yes. gets on us. Andrew Yang has not yet qualified. He is not yet qualified. And yeah. he should. Yes, I want to see him. I think Andrew Yang belongs up there. He's a huge player in this election. So, I, I, yeah, I can't believe, I still can't believe that Julian Castro wasn't in the last one. But It's crazy to me that Tom, like, that Tom Steyer is. Not that I even have a hate He's for still Tom in the campaign. Is, did he make the, oh my God. Like Tom's, I, I don't understand how that keeps well, happening. I love how like Kamala like threw one more elbow on her way out. And mm -hmm. she was like, I'm not a billionaire. That's why I can't keep going. Yeah. These guys can. I, I can't. Yeah, and I mean, there is definitely... I, I do think that Kamala ultimately succumbed to some very serious problems with her campaign, but there is something to think about about which, which people are able to sustain themselves through that. Like, has Joe Biden had a great campaign? No. No. He but he money. is able to sustain himself via, like, mega donors and all of this stuff. And, like, why is he able to do that as opposed to right. a Cory Booker or a Julian Castro or Kamala Harris? So it is interesting yeah. to think and about. And I also want to make sure we know, like... For all of the weaknesses in her campaign, you do have to wonder if um, a white male candidate could have sustained, could have, yeah. could have worked through that. She was exactly. absolutely held to a higher standard because she's a black woman. Yes. The media, this always happens where it's like, 
then after she dropped out, suddenly she's the best person ever. Yeah, and, and everyone's like, her, oh my God. And none of her problems were that bad. It's like, it's like when Hillary was running, people just grabbed on, like the media, afraid of being accused of not looking at both sides, just grabbed on everything. And they really did sort of like, they didn't embrace the Kamala as a cop thing, but they were like, yeah. oh, this is something people are saying. Let's make sure that we present that perspective. And yeah. I think it eclipsed all of the other amazing things about her. Yeah. And she couldn't survive it. And I, I don't know if that would have been the case for somebody and that is, didn't look like her. It is interesting to see other people who I don't think are doing much better than where she was at oh, right. who are still in the race. Like yeah. John Delaney is still technically <laughs> in this race. That is crazy to me. Yeah. But it is. it does kind of speak to like, if you're a woman of color, maybe that pressure feels like so much more and you you can't just skate by in the background and be like, no, I'm just going to keep my campaign going. Right. Like she had to make a decision probably faster right. than some of these and other people. And I appreciate people. that because like, I don't know if this was a calculation, but you know, she canceled it right before a huge fundraiser. Mm-hmm. And I do wonder if they were like, give your money to somebody that can yeah. win. Like, And also, here's what I will say, the silver lining on all of this is that now we've got Kamala Harris laser focused yes. on this Senate impeachment hearing. Senate she doesn't, she's not missing a day of work. I was thinking <laughs> yesterday, wouldn't it be so, because she's on judiciary, right? I was thinking yeah. like, oh, what if she just showed up? She like took the red eye and was like, I'm here. Yeah, like I just, I'm I'm glad that we're going to oh, have her. Oh, yesterday was the House, never mind. But yeah, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> but she'll, she'll do it for the Senate and I, I love I mean I think they all have to come back yeah like yeah. every senator has to show up to vote Mitch for McConnell impeachment can. yeah 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 but I like that we're gonna have her 100% on her game she's not flying in from Iowa no nope. she's not tired she's She's, She's ready to go. cooking with random people in their homes. Yes. And who yeah. knows the next administration if there will be a place right for her oh yeah within there right i feel like that's you know she has a very bright future yeah (laughs) yeah i think she's gonna be okay ultimately yeah yeah. (laughs) all right let's get to one more thing yesterday the trump administration finalized a rule that will tighten work requirements for people that use snap which is the supplemental nutrition assistance program that's food stamps um 36 million people get assistance through this and about 700,000 would be disqualified if the rule goes into effect Right before Christmas. I know. It's gross. The rule the rule r- applies to 14 and 49 year olds basically who like don't have kids or respond or caretaking responsibilities who are able to work, um, who don't have any physical limitations to, to, to working. Um, they have to work 20 hours a week for several months to qualify for the stamps. But a lot of that's like already a rule. But a lot of states waive that because they have high unemployment. So this new rule would basically say, nope, no waivers. Everybody sticks to this rule. Um, only states that have an employment rate of six above six percent will be permitted to sort of allow a little bit of a grace period yeah. for people. National unemployment was last at three point six. Um, I know, like, I know that this doesn't. This could seem like, oh well, maybe they should do that. But I mean, I just think about like my friends coming out of the recession who were trying to get jobs. Like, I know so many people who were trying to get jobs for many months. Like people lose their job and shit happens and you can go several months without having a job. Very long Even though you're applying. Even like, even though you're doing everything in your power to try to get a position. You at work, if you're hiring for a position and like you are also really busy, like you might not get to even hiring. Like that person's at home waiting for a paycheck. Yeah. Like exactly. So doesn't mean you're not trying. Exactly. I know so many people who have lost a job and really had to search for a long time to find new employment and like gainful employment and stuff. So it's like, 
It just sucks. It's right, also really messed up yeah. to do before Christmas. It's also really messed up coming from people who are supposedly all about Jesus right. and the teachings of Jesus. I'm pretty sure Jesus wouldn't take food from people right. who are poor. Right. I would just, it's been a little while since I've gone to <laughs> church, but yeah. I'm pretty sure if my big takeaway is that he definitely wouldn't take food away from people who are poor. I'm pretty sure that's like exactly what he was not saying. To <laughs> like, I'm, I don't know, yeah. but that's, yeah. I would think. Yeah. That's it for today, guys. Don't forget to stay tuned for my interview with Teresa Younger about women in healthcare. Mm -hmm. It's a good one, and we will have her back. Let me know what you want us to talk to her about. Um, we are still running our giveaway for the Apple Watch. So yep. review this podcast on iTunes or sign up for the newsletter, and you will be entered. Just shoot me, um, shoot us a Instagram message on SUP, and I will enter you into the giveaway. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. Whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of the things I like to buy on Etsy have little dachshunds on them or are four dachshunds. Dottie's got a whole litany of new sweaters and harnesses and all kinds of fun stuff that we get lots of compliments on when we're out on walks. A gifting moment is always just around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. We all know your hair and skin can sway your mood and impact your day in ways you can't underestimate. Sometimes what starts as a bad hair day quickly turns into a bad everything else day. I'd never found beauty products that really understood my needs, but ever since I switched to custom hair and skin routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits healthier hair and skin. Yes, but beyond that too. Since I started using pros, I've noticed consistently healthy hair. Even with all I put it through with the heat tools and the hairsprays to get this pompadour sky high, it smells great, it looks fancy on the shelf, and I like that it has my name right on it. This formula is made for V. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. From millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely yours or mine. And Pros isn't just better for you. It's better for the planet. They're a certified B Corp, cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. They even have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription at pros.com slash feverdream. So get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash feverdream. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash feverdream. We all dread the what should we have for dinner question. I mean, I know I do. I love a home-cooked meal, but I don't always have the time, energy, or groceries to make it happen. Being able to feast on a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is what drew me to Home Chef over the other guys. Home Chef's meals are effortless, so I can spend less time trying to be Top Chef and more time watching it. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. 
Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week and serves a variety of dietary needs, so you never have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. For a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and and of course, free shipping on your first box. Just go to homechef.com slash fever dream. That's homechef.com slash fever dream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard that right. Homechef.com slash fever dream must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going. But there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S dot com. Okay, this is Amanda. We are back with Teresa Younger, the president and CEO of the Ms. Foundation for Women. Welcome, Teresa. Good to have you back. Thanks for having me, Amanda. It's good to be back. Yeah, yeah. Um, so today we're going to talk about women in healthcare. We're really excited to have Teresa on regularly um, from Ms. Foundation to sort of talk about the United States of women and yeah. sort of look at how these issues that we're always sort of talking about, how they impact women directly in ways that seem obvious, in ways that maybe aren't super intuitive but are super important. Um, and we want to start with healthcare because anyone who's watched a debate has gotten their fill of healthcare recently. But, you know, it's sort of been discussed in terms of the candidates' plans, how much money they're going to cost, right. you know, the value of something like Medicare for All. Um, there have been maybe even more discussions than I was expecting in some of the debates about women's health specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's definitely more to say that I wish people were talking about. Um, so we wanted to start really broadly with, you know, how and in what ways do the failures of our healthcare system disproportionately impact women? Well, Assuming that they do. And I think the answer is yeah. The answer is yes, yeah. right? I think one of the things we have to call out first off is that we don't talk about women's health. We talk about healthcare more broadly. And so we really need to be having a conversation that's intentional about women's health. And why is that important? Because for a long time, and we continue to do it today, women are not seen as separate entities that actually have sp- specific health care needs. Not special, but specific, right? So we know that there's not enough research being done on women. So they test medications, uh, pain medications and other kinds of medications on men that are 170 pounds and six foot tall, and they never test them on women who might be 5'2", right? So we're over-medicating on sleeping pills and all these other kinds of medications because they were never set for women. And so we need to really actually take that research and understand it. It's gotten so bad that for 
years, people believed that when women were having a heart attack, it was the same way that men were having mm -hmm. a heart attack. And because we hadn't done any research, we just didn't pay attention to what women were saying. So women are coming in with very specific healthcare needs mm -hmm. that need to be addressed and need to be researched. So off the top, I think we just need to be specific about it. And we need to understand there needs to be more research on it. And we need to have access, and we need to talk about it. So access is everything from even being able to identify it to being able to understand it. And there are things that go on in women's bodies that don't happen in men's bodies, right? Mm -hmm. When we were preparing for today, we found that one in 10 women have endometriosis, right? They may go up to seven to eight years explaining their pain and what is happening in their bodies to their doctors before they are ever diagnosed. Well, guess what? Men don't have endometriosis mm -hmm. the same way that women do. You know, so, yeah. so, you know, if we don't have the research, then we don't have the answers to be able to actually help us with some of the, um, the concerns that are happening with women's body. And having access means that if doctors have research, then hopefully they will read it. And we know right. that sometimes they don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that that will help them in diagnosing women so that we don't have to go on so long. Mm -hmm. So I think those are some of the top things that we need to keep in mind. And then, you know, the other thing we have to also keep in mind is, well, Many of us have access to more and more women doctors and, uh, and uh, you know, uh, nurse practitioners. The reality is only one-third of CEOs of hospitals are women. Wow. And so when we start talking about whose voice gets carried into what conversations about what sets of issues, we're still lacking on where women's voices are and how they can influence policy and the issues that w that are going on out there. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned, um, you know, we s we're starting to have more knowledge about how a heart attack in, in women presents. And that brings me to a question of, you know, women's health outcomes in the U.S. are not as impressive as they are in wealthy nations. And I'm wondering if you can sort of talk to you how much of this has to do with a flawed system that can make access difficult, and how much it has to do with implicit or even willful bias on behalf of medical professionals. And how do you think that plays out, you know, between women and their doctors? Yeah, so I mean, first off, we have to fully acknowledge that in this country, the idea of a conversation between a woman and her doctor still yeah. is completely politicized. Yes. And so if we can just acknowledge that, then we can understand where some of these other pieces come yeah. into play. And that most policy is being made by men for women. Mm -hmm. And so if we just, you know, get our hands around that, too, yeah. we understand what that looks like. Um, and then let's fully acknowledge that race in this country is still um, significantly not talked about. Yeah. And, uh, and we start seeing those, uh, those disparities in health and women's health and black women's health and women of color of all backgrounds all across the board playing their way out. Um, and so we know that with particularly with black women, right, diabetes, uh, heart disease, um, issues around high blood pressure, issues around cancer, breast cancer particularly, are all undiagnosed, underdiagnosed, and are prevalent in those communities, and that we don't look at what are the stress factors that are affecting mm -hmm. those communities. And in many cases, there are doctors who do not see it. They don't recognize uh, when we know this from the Serena Williams stories that mm -hmm. we just started seeing, right? They don't recognize women's pain on one level, and they don't recognize women of color, particularly black women's pains, 
on another level. Mm -hmm. So there's no real acknowledgement. So what does that do? That creates even greater health disparities because we're not getting our needs met in any spectrum of the work that we're trying to do or the health care we're trying to receive. And when we are telling our stories as women to our doctors or our health care providers, they are only getting the information that they have from the, the sources that they have, which are incomplete and inefficient research sources. Mm -hmm. And we have to fully acknowledge that their bias is coming from what this country has produced, a significant bias to people of color. And so when we go in and tell our stories as women and then as women of color, we get dismissed and not heard in the stories that we are trying to tell. Yeah. And so much of healthcare is preventative healthcare. But if you go to your doctor and you're dismissed and your pain isn't taken seriously or you're even accused of imagining it, I, I can't imagine. I, I think a lot of people have probably been through that. And you really can't imagine really wanting to go to the doctor again. Right. And if we fully acknowledge that, you know, one, how many of us have jobs that allow us the flexibility of going to the doctor when they want us to show up? Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, and, and then if we recognize that there are, are, are poor women and women of color who are are not in the highest paid jobs. They are in the lowest paid jobs yeah. doing the hardest work. And they don't have the flexibility of going to a doctor's office. And I know many of us who listen to this show have waited for an hour for the doctor, right? Yeah. And if you are on a salaried position, an hour, hour and you get medical care and you get uh, time mm -hmm. off for your medical services, that's one thing. But if you're an hourly employee and it took you an hour to get there because you use public transportation and then you wait another hour for your appointment and then you have to go pick up your prescription Mm -hmm. Let's just say your doctor heard you all the way through that. Right. That's half a day of wages that are not uh, provided to you. Right. And uh, and so that's, that's a real problem. There's a real concern about what that looks like. Now, if you're a woman who hasn't been heard by their doctor and has to go see another doctor and another doctor, and for each one of those visits, you pay a copay that, you know, uh, then extends yeah. the costs of those visits. And over time, you don't get heard. You mm -hmm. just keep paying into a system that um, isn't effectively providing its services for you. So I read a statistic today that 30% of black women and 24% of Hispanic women are enrolled in Medicaid compared to 14% of white women. And um, the Medicaid sort of intersects with laws in our countries in interesting ways. We have the Hyde Amendment, which blocks federal Medicaid funding for abortion. Um, and there are a lot of ways that our laws can sort of interact with, you know, publicly given health care. How does that disproportionately have a negative impact on vulnerable women and women of color? Well, uh, you know, I think once we recognize that health care shouldn't be uh, just mm -hmm. left in the hands of legislators to determine what that looks like, um, then we can have a better yeah. understanding of what's going on, right? Right. We have the Affordable Care Act, which was supposed to guarantee um, preventative health care and health access for everybody, um, whatever health care plan they have, whether it was right. worker, whether it was um, workplace provided or whether it was Medicaid. And so, you know, just having an understanding of what that looks yeah. like and, and, and what those laws are. If we can believe, which I do and at the Ms. Foundation we do, we believe that health care is a human right and that in this country everybody should have access to it. But when you create laws and that you have to fight for to have your preventative health care coverage right. covered, right, that just seems like who's, who's making up the laws and then what are we negotiating out and no negotiating in. And so with the Hyde Amendment, states have to provide the baseline of what the federal government provides. Okay. They could provide more. 
mm-hmm. but instead right. our states try to provide just the baseline. They don't provide, we d- they don't sit in a position that says we should provide women more services for what the healthcare needs they are. And childcare, childbirth, maternity, abortion, all of those are part of what happens to a woman's body over her lifetime. And she should have what we consider a lot, uh, talk about a lot, which is full bodily autonomy to make decisions about her body in the most informed and supportive way that they can take place. And so when we start talking about the laws that are out there, we start piecemealing together women's health mm-hmm. and health care yeah. overall. And so when we do that, then we start asking individuals to be experts in the laws that have been pieced together. And those uh, individuals out there who are just making enough to pay their bills or not making enough to pay their bills, who are sacrificing their health care for their child's health care, um, who are you know trying to figure out systems that can actually support their health care, yeah. then have to f- try to figure out what all these all these pieces are. They think they have access to one mm-hmm. thing and they don't. Um, and we know the cost of being a woman in this country because of what our bodies do and yeah. don't do actually l- increases the cost of our living over what men uh, have to pay for. Mm-hmm. Right. So we just need to be really aware of all of these pieces about what the laws are out there and how we start taking apart women's bodily autonomy and ability to make decisions for themselves um, and assuming that we are not mature enough, responsible enough, or um, don't understand what decisions we want to make. And so we really, you know, I think if you ask the average person, do you think your health care covers X or Y? They're going to say yes or no. Yeah. But, um, but most of us have no idea mm-hmm. what our insurance costs. And those are what our insurance covers. And, and that happens also, regardless of what your economic status is, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, you know, if you're relying on the federal government and then your state government to provide and help uh, underwrite the costs of your health care, uh, then it just requires you to know so much more. And who has the time exactly, yeah. to piece that together? Mm-hmm. You're trying to yeah. raise your family. You're trying to work. You're trying to take care of your loved ones. You're trying to make sure all these things happen, and they, you know, and and you need something that you need to be one listened to, and you need to be getting high quality healthcare where it is closest to you. Yeah, as you're saying this, I'm reminded, you know, when we hear things about states, you know, refusing Medicare expansions, that's a woman's issue mm-hmm. for all of the reasons mm-hmm. you just listed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and so. How do women's health outcomes in the U.S. compare with those in other wealthy nations, maybe that do have um, greater access to health care and you don't necessarily have to think of? There might be a more standard way to access it versus what you were just describing, mm-hmm. which is it's changing all of the time. It can be a full-time job just to figure out what what you can what procedures you can have done that you may or, that you need that won't you know put you in into debt how do women's health outcomes um, compare to countries where that might not be as big of a factor yeah in some recent research that looked at the uh, 11 top countries uh, top high income countries the united states actually had uh, most women reported having the least positive experience wow. Right, so they're going in. They're not getting heard. They're not. Uh, nobody is paying attention. They are not understanding what they have going on. So you know, the idea that our healthcare in this country actually is comprehensive and that everybody loves it, 
we only love what we have because we don't know what yeah. the alternatives are. And if you knew that you could show up at any doctor's appointment on any given day and have qualified health practitioners take care of you, listen to you, take care of your family, listen to what the, their concerns are, then you would be approaching it from a very different way. Mm-hmm. And the United States is one of the few you know, countries at this level that actually does not have comprehensive, affordable health care for every person in the country. And so we know that the cost of health care bankrupts families. Uh, and that yeah. level of stress, you know, also plays prevalently into health disparities that, you know, make that de- make determine, determine uh, how women are going to make decisions about their health care and those of their families. Yeah. And you've started to speak to this, but apart from the substandard care that we've been talking about, how does the cost of health care and the lack of quality in health care contribute to women's kind of further marginalization? It sounds like it takes up a great deal of real estate, especially if you're work- a working mom, maybe a single mother. Yeah. Um, not earning a ton. How does our the failures and the weaknesses in our healthcare system sort of contribute to keeping those groups down? Yeah, well, there's a couple of things we need to keep in place, right? So we need to look at the infrastructure and transportation in this country, Mm -hmm. which plays into how and if we get to an appointment. We need to look at significant pay disparities in this country, for particularly for women of color, who uh, are making much, much less than their male counterparts. Um, We need to look at issues like uh, what are the, what does the workforce look like? So those who, um, uh, women of color work in the lowest paying jobs and the service sector in this country who have the least flexibility mm-hmm. of being able to get the health care that they need. Um, so on top of all of that, then you've got uh, you've got a, a litany of issues around women who are trying to uh, make decisions for themselves and their health care, which they often put on the back burner. And so it's not about preventative care for yeah. themselves. It's about... Um, it's about them prioritizing their loved ones, uh, whether that's their children, their parents, their partners, or their spouses. Um, it's about uh, prioritizing when those appointments get made. Uh, we have separated in this country issues like uh, dental care from yeah. health care, and that is a significant cost to many. We know when you have a you know, healthy mouth, you have healthy body, mm-hmm. um, because there's so much disease that gets carried in the mouth. I mean, there's a, there's a, a litany of things that we, we've tried to, you know, segregate out all of these pieces that are not playing their way in smoothly. So, you know, you're making all of these decisions about uh, your own health care. You're trying to find a provider. You're trying to uh, get to those appointments. You're trying to work it out through your workplace. If you have a workplace, that's going to give you that time off. And we still don't have paid family leave and paid medical leave across the board. So people can't just take time off and get reimbursed for it. And those financial disparities are significant. On top of it, you know, people don't like to talk about it, but it does cost more to be a woman. Yeah. And, you know, uh, and so there are very simple things like the cost of tampons and pads for a woman's menstrual cycle that are still coming out every month out of our income and and out of our pockets. And, you know, that's not subsidized. And we have no, you know, there's nothing we can do about that, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And yet men don't have those expenses. So there's a list of expenses that go on and on and on that uh, we're not talking about that women carry that men are not seeing. Yeah, yeah. And that low-income women actually see at much greater rates. And women of color see at much greater rates. Yeah, absolutely. 
So we've sort of touched on this a little bit, but I wanted to talk to you about maternal mortality, Mm -hmm. um, which is very hard to discuss without getting incredibly angry. (laughs) Um, So women in the U.S., um, of the study you just referenced, of 11 wealthy nations, have the highest rate of maternal mortality, because largely because of complications from pregnancy or childbirth or health disparities before that. Um, giving a birth to a child in America is even more dangerous for women of color. What's going on here? And how does this connect to everything we've already talked about? Wow. Oh, gosh, I don't even know where to begin on this because it's really layered. Yeah, I think okay. there's a couple of things. We see a, a higher level of C-sections performed in hospitals, particularly for women of color, particularly for black women. So that means that we uh, there may be prenatal care that's happening differently, and then they are going into C-sections, which means there's a greater uh, need for um, healing on the back half of that. Um, We are seeing that doctors are not paying attention to uh, maternal health, uh, particularly for black women and women of colors. They're not paying attention to our rates of pain. They're not paying attention to what we are telling them. They are truly not listening to us if we learned anything. I mean, there there are really disturbing studies out there that say doctors truly believe that black women or black people can endure more pain. Absolutely. We see this on every level of everything that happens. I mean, racism in America is truly uh, just systemic and built into our system, right? We see everything from, you know, young girls being kicked out of school, black girls being kicked out of school more often, Mm -hmm. right? We see it from uh, adultism that happens where we're, you know, seeing young children as 11-year-olds that's being seen as 17-year-olds. I mean, we see this a lot. Let's just fully acknowledge that racism is systemic and it is built in and, and baked into our society. And we know that to be true. We know also that we we need to be looking at broader contexts like doulas and midwives so that we have other people in delivery rooms who can help us to um, amplify and advocate for us uh, another voice that reinforces uh, what's going on in the room and who has a very specific duty. Because doctors also uh, and, and healthcare providers are running around in that room and they're really, you know, I believe that doctors and healthcare providers want to care for the person, but at the end of the day, they're also worried about the liability of a hospital. And so they're not actually, you know, let's get the baby out. Even if a mother has decided she wants to have a natural birth, they may then decide to do a C-section. We know that uh, in story after story after story after story, right, um, that uh, women have said they needed more pain medication. They didn't get it. They said they, uh, the baby was coming. The doctor wasn't paying attention. They said there was something wrong. Nobody was listening to them. They come in and check on them sporadically. Oftentimes, you know, we don't know which questions to ask our healthcare provider. And when we ask them, the answers are dismissed. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, I mean, the list goes on and on and on around how absolutely terrifying it is in this country, if you are a black woman, to give birth in this yeah, country. And those things, that sequence of things, they just compound into what becomes like a very dangerous situation. A- a- absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, in, in hospitals, when uh, when doctors and, and, and healthcare providers are making decisions, they're making snap decisions, right? And so if we are not training them to be able to make the decisions with uh, the least amount of bias, then they're walking in with the most amount of bias, and it's unconscious to them. I don't think, I honestly don't think that there are very many doctors who are intentionally hurting women. Yeah 
but they are. Yeah. And we are seeing that we are seeing black women time and time again dying at higher levels, um, having C-sections at higher levels um, and having uh, more health implications to their uh, childbirth than anybody else. Yeah. And, and, and that's really they're just not they're just not trained and they're just not knowing what to do. Yeah, yeah. And also, black women are three or four times more likely to die in childbirth than white women, regardless of education or Mm -hmm. income or any socioeconomic factors. And I felt like that really, um, more people became aware of that when Serena Williams began speaking about her labor experience, where she had had blood clots before, she knew what they felt like, and uh, she... It ended up being very dangerous for her because they just didn't listen to her. Right, right. And, and Serena Williams is... Right. Well, and I think what happens is also we don't talk about it, right? Yeah. So right. when we heard Serena Williams' story, we also then heard the story exactly. of many other women who said, that happened to me. Oh, that was my story. Oh, I know my body and I know what was going on. And I think we were, we always thought, oh, it was just that poor right. uh, black young, uneducated woman. And what we find time and time again is it is also educated elite athletes who have done research, who have talked to people who they should have known that she had, she was uh, apt for blood clots, and yet she had to go out and tell them and they still didn't pay attention, Mm -hmm. right? She called on a CAT scan, and they still didn't pay attention. And then, oh my gosh, maybe we should do this, right? Um, So I think what happened what this what Serena's story really pointed out to so many of us was uh, how hard it is to advocate for yourself in the moment and to be heard. She said it time and time and time again, um, and how often that happens. Uh, you know, where women are trying to advocate for themselves, they have others in the in the room advocating for them, and they are just not getting paid attention to. Mm-hmm. But this goes to a long history in this country about trusting women. Trusting women, trusting black women to uh, have their voices heard, to be believed in what they are saying is happening to them, um, and then to be able to react in a way that's most informed. And we need to do that on a multitude of levels. We need health care in this country that actually is fully inclusive. We need to have research that is fully inclusive of women, of women of color, that actually uh, addresses our needs. I heard a really ridiculous report a couple of weeks ago where they were testing hormone medicine uh, on men for women who had had hysterectomies. Oh, my God. (laughs) I don't don't know. That just seemed abstractly, like men don't even have a uterus. So how are they like going to be the people you're going to test the drug on? They, they didn't even go that far into mm-hmm. their thinking, right? Right. So who are our researchers? What are the questions they're asking? Who are those who are participating in the research? How are they being really intentional? How are they documenting that? Um, how are they breaking up uh, what that looks like? Women are not monolithic. Right. Black women are not monolithic. Women of color are not monolithic. Then we actually need to be able to understand what those differences are and how... Um, how the uh, health disparities in some way are baked into our DNA, mm-hmm. right? Um, stre- you carry stress for so long in your body, it has an impact. And we see those impacts carrying through. So there might be a real actual reason for uh, what is happening, in particularly in women of color's bodies, as they carry stress a little differently, as women carry stress a little differently. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yesterday was World HIV AIDS, mm-hmm. AIDS Day. Do you think that Americans underestimate how many women are impacted by HIV AIDS? 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 1.1 million people are infected with HIV AIDS, and 23% of them are women. I think we have forgotten um, just how uh, this really impacts our communities on a daily basis. People are living longer. They have more access to medication. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't be having more conversation and being really intentional. It was, you know, I was going to say it's been easily... 20 years, if not longer, that the Ms. Foundation um, funded the first HIV AIDS fund for women in this country. Uh, And so, you know, we've been engaged in this conversation, but how do you have it? What is the research that's being done? Who's being impacted? What are the additional supports that need to be out there? Who's speaking these truths? And what does that need to look like? We know that only 16% of domestic funding in the United States goes to HIV AIDS. Wow. And so, you know, we need to be paying more attention to this. We oftentimes look at other countries and go, oh, over there, over there, instead of looking and now looking back to see where those other fingers are pointing, which is right back at us. And we need to understand what's happening, um, how it is changing the lives of communities and what the impact is. Yeah, absolutely. Can you talk a little bit more about how the Ms. Foundation is involved in some of the issues we've been talking about? Sure. So the Ms. Foundation for We've been around for 45 years now. For at least 35 of those years, we have been on the front lines of supporting grassroots organizations, women-led organizations, who are working in the areas of safety, health, and economic justice. And that health is really broad. So we talk about reproductive justice, which encompasses all aspects of a woman's reproductive journey um, and Mm -hmm. talks about parenting with dignity as well Mm -hmm. as choosing not to parent at all. Right? What does that look like? We've also spent time lifting up the work that's being done in communities that nobody is talking about, like HIV AIDS, particularly as, as it affects women uh, and what's happening in their communities, right? So, you know, we've been working for a very long time on really listening to the grassroots, what is happening in communities. So if they are saying to us, these local policies are not supporting our health care, they're not allowing for us to take time off to, from work or from school, they're not, uh, they're not supporting our transportation needs, they are not, um, th- that the research isn't actually being done, um, then we are trying to support what they believe the answers in their communities are, and then we bring those groups together so they can talk about what they're doing and replicate them. And we have organizations uh, that have are been working with the Ms. Foundation for a very long time who have been doing a lot of work around reproductive rights and health and justice work, uh, and, and who are, have been on the front lines of lawsuits and litigation uh, across this country that is amplifying what needs to happen from the voices of those individuals in their communities. So that's, you know, we have groups in Louisiana that we're we're supporting, groups in Kentucky that we're supporting, in Mississippi that we're supporting, in Florida, that are all in these quote-unquote battleground states, as well as in California that we're supporting, that are really looking at what is their narrative, what is their story, how do they want to talk about these issues. Our health care is not just about abortion. It is a piece of our health care. Our, our health care and our health is about the broad spe- spectrum. Everything, and we have worked on these issues also, everything from uh, people with disabilities mm-hmm. needing access to health care, right? Um, and, you know, 
what is the table and how do they have access to getting in and being independent to what does uh, it look like when we're talking about infertility to what does it look like to parenting with dignity. Yeah. I mean, oh, that whole spectrum from breast cancer, right, to, um, to other forms of cancer, from diabetes to um, high blood pressure, really looking at what does that spectrum look like um, that affect the lives of women. And so what we've tried to do is be able to support those organizations that are doing work in some of the areas that we're not hearing about uh, so prevalently in the media. Yeah, absolutely. Because as well-meaning as sort of the high-level conversation about women's health is, and it can sometimes be reduced to even, you know, can a woman get an abortion? But if you're talking to people in those communities, they're worried about, can I get a ride to the doctor at a time when the doctor's open and I have childcare? Right. And those are factors that contribute to... Absolutely. Yeah. And I think we often, uh, we make assumptions about things. It's, it's as simple as, right, mm-hmm. can I get a flu shot? Right. right. What does the impact of that flu shot have on my body? And where was it tested, right? Yeah. What is the impact of, of being able to get to a doctor when I have a cold or when I have some, um, there's, uh, asthma is prevalent in communities of color, particularly in urban communities, right? What is the research that's been going on about that? How does that affect women? Women who are raising children, right? We have caregiving responsibilities that have health implications to them yeah. also. And the greatest number of health care providers in this country are women of color. Wow. Um, so that means that. they are they are the health care providers. They are caring for our children and our grandparents and mm-hmm. our parents. Uh, and they have the least access to health care themselves. Wow. Yeah. So if people are hearing this and they're getting very angry and want to act and do something about it, how can they get involved in some of the things that you were talking about? Well, there's a couple of things that you can do. One, start talking about health care. Like, don't let any yeah. conversation go by <laughs> without um, giving voice to your story. Everybody has a health care story, and we need to give voice to it, even if it's amongst your family members. I'm not saying you have to walk out on the street and yell from the, the street corner what your health care concerns are. But if we just even talk amongst our family members, that will help considerably. Contact your local legislator and get familiar with what they are working on. Mm-hmm. Let them know what is critically important to you. If you have the means, join an organization and help support telling those stories and their stories and being able to lift that up in whatever way works for you. And if you can, make a contribution to an organization that's aligned. And if you don't know what that organization is, you're not sure that you can trust them or whether they're doing good work, go to, ish, go to organizations like the Ms. Foundation, it's forwomen.org, and take a look at the organizations that we're supporting. We've already vetted them. And those are, are organizations that are doing work and on the grassroots levels in their communities. Um, If that doesn't work for you, contact your local community foundation or women's foundation or hospital foundation and ask them who is doing outreach work. And let's assume always when we're making contributions, let's assume the best Mm -hmm. and not assume people are trying to, you know, underwrite the system, you know, trying to get something out of the system. We're all trying to make the world a better place. And if we started to assume the best in people and then this process, understand that I don't believe doctors are intentionally uh, exhibiting systemic bias against me. 
What I assume is that they are not trained to recognize the bias that they carry, and we as a country have yet to fully address racism in this country and sexism in this country, and until we do that, we have to keep calling out where we need to have more research, more access, more conversation. And so I think, you know, if we assume the best, then we can go into how we talk about this, who we call, what we're hoping for in a very comprehensive way. And, you know, go to the go to uh, every poll, every ballot box that yes. you can to can and vote. Vote on this issue and other issues as they affect you, your families, your communities, and not just today, but into the future. We need to be thinking about what it could look like if we had fully comprehensive health care that recognized every person as a full human being and that provided the services that they needed. Yeah, I think that's especially important as we get later into the century when we're going to be having a lot more health problems potentially connected to, to climate change. And we already know there's a lot of environmental injustice yeah. in this country. These, these things are not separated, yes. right? You know, so it's environmental justice, it's economic justice, it's racial du- justice. These are all completely intertwined. And we need to recognize that healthcare can't just be solved right. in any debate by looking at it as just one thing. How does this relate to the broader conversation, the aging of America, the browning of America, the workforce, and the environment? When we look at all those pieces, then we can start really coming up with a healthcare plan that's inclusive of us all. Great. Thank you so much, Teresa. I really appreciate it. And that was forwomen.org. And we will share some of those links to some of those suggested organizations um, when we share the podcast later tonight. Thank you so much. Batches.